I'm Laura Youngkin of The Brave Millennial. This is Lars Helgeson, CEO of GreenRope and author of CRM for Dummies. I'm Allison Bloom-Fetchstock, the founder and CEO of Know Your Crew. This is Brad Van Dam, president and CEO of Marge Confectionery. And you're listening to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. Now, Happy New Year to you, to yours and your family and your business. And I know that you want to kick off 2018 in the right direction. Well, fear not. I think there's a few things that we can all agree on. We want to make sure we become better leaders. We want to grow our talent base. More importantly, we want to make sure that we have a succession plan and roadmap laid out that is fun, energetic and exciting for our emerging millennial talent pool to be able to grab a hold of and move to the next level of leadership inside of your company. Well, that's what we're here to do. We're here to help you out with that. Our high level wisdom workshops will help bring together your current executives, your millennial emerging leadership in one place in order to be able to learn how to work best together through communication, best tips on team building, and more importantly, knowledge, training, road mapping, you name it, we have it. Go to our website, highlevelwisdom.com, and you can find out more information or feel free to send me an email and set up your free 15-minute, yes, free 15-minute conversation in order to learn about your needs and how we can help you. Chris at highlevelwisdom.com. I look forward to talking with you soon. Hey, well, 2018 is here, so now what do we do? We know that we want to get started on the right foot. So if you're a CEO and you love this show, you love hearing other CEOs, why not you be on this show as well? Maybe you're working for a great CEO and you say, you know what? I think we have a great CEO who has an awesome perspective. Let's have an initial conversation. Feel free to reach out to me, Chris at HighLevelWisdom.com, and I would love to learn about you as a CEO or someone that you recommend who you think would be a great asset to listeners like you. Send me an email, Chris at HighLevelWisdom.com, and let's have a conversation. Now, let's listen to this week's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to 2018. Welcome to another week. Welcome to another great fresh start. I hope that you have had an awesome time over the holidays. I know I did. I want to welcome you to this year's first episode, episode 56 of High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. I am your host, Chris Williams. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in today. I am grateful that you would choose right here at the beginning of the year to give our show a listen to. Thank you so much. If you've not had an opportunity, feel free. You can go back and listen to all of the previous shows. But if you want to start right here, you've got a good one. Thank you so much for listening because today's show as we kick off 2018 is starting with a very great person who I'd had an opportunity to get to know, to get to meet. And now I'm going to give you an opportunity to listen to my interview with none other than Kelly Kohler. Now, Kelly is very interesting because she is really, really uh, into how things are built and why they're built the way they're built. That's right. She's into design, uh, how buildings are built, why you have certain colors and certain ways and, and arcs and different things that are going in. And she's built a company that has been around for more than 25 years and done a lot of collaborative projects over that time, including Cincinnati Children's uh, Hospital, Mercy Health, the University of Cincinnati, uh, Parks in Cincinnati, the Doctors Without Borders and Procter & Gamble globally, you name it. 
She's done it. And I think one of the things that I found very interesting uh, in interviewing her and getting a chance to know Kelly is, is that she really does care not only just about uh, the design, but she cares about her team. And when you listen to this first half of this interview, um, you're going to be surprised how much in depth uh, and how much she thinks about uh, how the team is built what they're doing and how they're moving forward. Um, she's a graduate of University of Cincinnati's College Art and Design and Architecture. Uh, she's currently serving on the boards of Contemporary Arts and Center and the Cincinnati Arts and Technology Center. She really believes that design breathes life into the community and makes a positive impact through education, innovation, and entrepreneurship. I want to thank you for listening to this first episode right here in 2018 of my interview with Kelly Kohler, the CEO of Kohler Design Inc. Take a listen. Kelly, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This is going to be fun because uh, I got to tell you, um, when I had an opportunity to talk to you initially, and I want to walk through some of those things, I was kind of fascinated about your journey, uh, almost just as, as I was fascinated by the company. So I would love to, without any further ado, for give you just a few minutes, talk to me about uh, how did you get into design? And just just let's start at the very, very beginning before you became the CEO of this uh, worldwide company. Talk to me about the very beginning. What type of jobs were you doing? And then how did you come upon design? And what was kind of that uh, growth piece that you went through going from just an individual contributor all the way to executive? Well, actually, I started um, actually originally from Detroit. And in Detroit, there's really basically three job choices. It's automotive, automotive, and automotive, if you know <laughs> what I mean. So I knew that I was really interested in the creative side of automotive, but wasn't that interested in designing cars, but loved the brands and the logos and the identities of the cars. And my father actually owned a manufacturing plant in Detroit, so I have a lot of industrial knowledge and background of how to make things. So initially, upon um, seeking going to design school, I actually came to the University of Cincinnati because they have an amazing design, art, architecture, and planning program. And I became a graduate very, very quickly after my five years here. And, you know, the neat thing about Cincinnati's program is you co-op all around the United States and all around the world. So every three months, you're going to school and you're also putting into practice the next three months what you, what you learned while you were in school. So the cooperative education really gave me the launch and kind of the taste for wanting to be an entrepreneur. Of course, being a daughter of an entrepreneur, I already had that born-in entrepreneurial spirit. But I knew once I fell in love with design that this was the place where I knew that I could make a difference in the work that I do. And literally, we really believe here in our company that design can change lives. So we know that the transformative powers of great design is is amazing and can actually change um, people's experiences and their perceptions as well as you know even where they're going in their own life and what the, what the environment might might be for them. So whether it's a healing environment or it's a park for people or it's a city or it's a corporate workplace environment, we really believe the design of the environment actually does have an impact and is transformative at that intersection of people and place. Wow. So I, I thought it was interesting when I had an opportunity to uh, review your website uh, after initially talking to you. And I, I loved your tagline, uh, highway to hallway. It, Share with me a little bit more about that. How, how did you come up with that? And what does that truly mean for, for, for your company and all the things that you all do? So for a long, long time, we've actually been focused on developing navigation in space. 
you know, we believe that spaces kind of vividly unfold. And as a story vividly unfolds in a book, architecture and your experience in space can also vividly unfold. So the highway to hallway is literally looking at kind of this conversion of clicks to bricks and what's happening today in society. As we look at, you know, the digital highway and all of the information coming to your customers or to your users of your workplace, all the way onto the physical highway, how do you the camp of your choice for the first time, all the way into the hallways um, of the actual office environment or of the um, higher academic environment. So that highway to hallway strategy is really about navigation and how do we how do we physically and digitally engage the user experience so it's that, that end-to-end experience. Whether it's in retail or it's in corporate workplace or it's in healthcare or it's a civic campus. Um, you know, or it's an academic campus, that concept of highway to hallway really kind of links in with each of those touch points. Because at that moment, every single decision you make, every single moment, every single turn is a chance for you to tell a story and capture your end user's experience. So for us, that highway to hallway, that touch by touch, moment by moment is really kind of a mission moment and a mission opportunity for the businesses that we work with. Wow. So, so, so give me an example of, um, uh, you don't have to name names, but give me an example sure. of maybe a company or a design work that uh, was brought to you. Obviously, they had a problem that your company could solve. And, and what is kind of some of the thinking and the processing that you walk through when you're saying, all right, we're going to take this box, <laughs> whether it's 4,000 square feet or 400,000 square feet, and right. we're going to make it uh, something that people look at and want to be in awe of. W- w- talk to us about what kind of you know processing that you all go through and what does that look like and and why do you even find this sort of stuff fun? Some people would would say, no, please, I don't want anything to do with it. Help me go find somebody else where I could just press a button and make it work. Well, why, why is this something that you find is what gets you up in the morning? Well, you know, design is about solving problems. So usually we find that our clients have a problem and they're not quite sure how to solve it. And so they'll come to us almost as visual scientists Hmm. to help them figure out and navigate where the problem might be. So in the highway to hallway example that I used earlier, um, say, for example, you're a Big Ten university and you've got 40,000 students on campus and you have 8.9 million visitors annually to your campus. Every time someone comes to your campus, whether it's a game day or an everyday that's an opportunity for you to leave them with a lasting impression. We believe we lead with brand. So brand is everything. Brand isn't just a logo or graphics on a page. Brand is your story. It's your narrative. It's your touch point, your mission, your vision, your values of how you want people to know and love you. And if you want to have a love mark and you want to have a brand that people are in love with, when they're coming to your campus for that first time, you never get a second chance to make that first impression. Hmm. So what we found is that, especially whether it's a corporate campus or a university campus, Mm -hmm. that a lot of times people get lost on their way, or they don't have the proper signage, or they don't have the proper information, or they don't have a pre-visit information, and they miss their appointment, or they miss their recruiting visit, or they miss their classroom tour, or they miss their campus tour, and or they miss their interview if they're coming as a new recruit. And so helping people navigate their environment and bringing their brand to life in the digital and physical sense, is really the kind of the sweet spot that our firm specializes in. And whether it's that 400,000 
you know, acre campus that I just was describing with multiple campuses, or it's, you know, a 40,000 square foot corporate headquarters. Um, you know, we really help people look at each of those touch points and each one of those areas so that when they do arrive, again, your sequence starts all back over again. You know, so we have to start out with inform, inspire, and then innovate and then collaborate. Really, really important that each one of those feelings happens for you inside a space as you work. Wow. That's interesting. So it's it's almost, uh, you mentioned the, the digital space and then that physical space. So it's almost like uh, a user experience for the physical space, right? Correct. Um, where, where most people would con- con- kind of understand if I have my, you know, my trusty phone, you know, and, and every time there's an upgrade, it's because I'm giving them some sort of feedback that I want it to be more functional. I want to be able to use my thumbs a different way or there's a smoother right. way to click it. That's that's interesting. I, I've never thought about design in such a way of a user experience, but I can tell you I've been to some places where I was there for the first time and what what I tell other people about my experience had a lot to do with the signage or I didn't know where the heck I was going. Right. Exactly. <laughs> or it wasn't, you know, it wasn't um as 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 prominent as it maybe it should be uh, when when there are certain events. That's that's very very interesting. I would have never thought about those little nuances. You know, so you I mean you bring up the idea of events, and of course, events are really critical. Airports are really critical. That's really mm. more about wayfinding and navigating. Right. But imagine if it's your imagine if it's your choosing one university over another. Wow. A student chooses their academic choice within the first fifteen minutes of visiting that campus. Wow. So if you want to remove barriers and you want to create a best-in-class experience, how can you do that? And people are coming from out of the country or out of town. The portal is the airport, then it's the car, then it's the bus or the train. Hmm. What are actually all the touches and how do you remove all those barriers? So when they get there, they know they've got that aha kind of moment and they know that they've arrived. Interesting. Interesting. That, that, this is fascinating. Okay, so uh, one other question, and, I, and, I, and then we're going to get into some of this um, – some of the other things that I'm interested in, but so, so talk to me about how, um, how this may be different for an executive thinking about this, this physical experience versus the everyday worker who comes in, you know, they don't, they don't go to the executive floors, right? They just go to maybe their cube. How do you see, uh, the, the type of information that you get, right? When someone brings you in, uh, how does that inform kind of what you do uh, to the structure, the type of design that you provide? So a lot in our corporate workplace, it's really important that first welcome. Hmm. Right when you walk in the corporate headquarters, do I want to work at this location? Do I want to work for this company or do I want to work for another? So in the, in the talent fight that we have going on today, especially with the millennial talent and the brightest and the best people coming out of school or you're trying to recruit someone away from another company, your corporate workplace environment is a deal breaker hmm. and a deal maker because the environment and the impact of the place on the people is so important, especially to the next generation. They grew up on Apple. They grew up on Target. They have a completely different brand experience expectation. No, I mean, no longer do people want to work, you know, inside cubes and connected to a computer or stuck in their desk right. or in you know, rank and file, kind of like a mouse, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a maze of cheese. Mm-hmm. I think today's workers um, want freedom. I think they're seeking um, social connectivity. They're seeking social responsibility, corporate and social responsibility. 
and how the built environment actually communicates that and how the office and how the corporate culture actually is a part of that. It's so reflected in the design of the physical place. And so we find a lot with our corporate clients, whether we're working locally, you know, for a legal, you know, new law firm that's looking for its next generation of leaders or working globally for some of our large clients like Procter & Gamble or Doctors Without Borders. You know, they're looking and seeking for a whole new type of workplace experience. Mm -hmm. And that's really about connectivity and about being able to do your best work in your place. Wow. You know, and and I think this is something that is a a really cool conversation, especially for um, the everyday person who goes into their office and just goes home. They go into their office and they go home. And I, I would even say just in this few minutes so far, you've kind of opened my eyes to some things and made me more aware about uh, you know, I would even almost say, would it impact to, to your point? And, and I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but would, would it also impact productivity that, yeah. that that companies actually see to employees? How, how is how is the research that you all have done um, maybe shown that these these environments even even uh, speak to productivity? So obviously, I mean, we really are an innovation company that uses insights and strategy with design as a tool mm-hmm. to drive business results. And the insights and the research that we've been able to do is really looking pre and post occupancy of the impact of the place on the people. Interesting. Yeah. So we actually measure through employee engagement as well as through employee satisfaction, the qualitative aspects of the impact of the new space on the performance of the people. And so we're looking for not only qualitative descriptors, but we're also looking for quantitative numbers that my, my workplace supports me to be able to do my best work on a scale of one to five. My workplace supports me in, in providing me with the tools and the resources that I need to be able to do my best job. So there's several different factors that you can create. And of course, each company has its own culture mm-hmm. and has its own unique drivers. I'm not talking, you know, beyond people are already measuring, you know, do you have a desk? Do you, how many feet are you from the copier? You know, not the nuts and bolts side. Sure. I'm really focused on the brand side, on wow. the emotional connection to the space. Interesting. So, so let's let's talk about. Um, you 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 started this company, and 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 you start you know working with your with your clients, right? And now you know you've got to start bringing in employees. I, I'm interested at the moment where you you saw the change in the type of employee that was coming into your space right because des- to me design is a cool thing we see it all over the place sometimes people travel to certain parts of the world just to see architecture and design right, right. so it's something that i think we're all familiar with um but 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 talk to me about the inner workings of color design what what was it like to 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 have uh, uh three different generations inside of a workspace, all trying to achieve this, uh, this, this, this goal almost, and almost the the never ending, never satisfying uh, a move of creating the best designs. But you're doing it with basically three different lenses uh, to get that done. And then, and then, I'm also interested in when did you kind of have the aha moment about the millennial? Uh, you know, in in your in your line of work and in your industry, where you went, wow, that's that's actually a thing, and they're and and it's it's because of them. Well, talk to me a little bit about that in your space. So we've had, you know, obviously we've been in we've been in business now for twenty five plus years, and they've had kind of three stages of growth in the business. The beginning chapter was kind of the solopreneur chapter, so it was kind of you know Kelly and the band, and mm-hmm. it was really small, 
student, very much a studio kind of environment, a boutique design firm. The second chapter was really more of kind of the family generation. My husband was an inventor, industrial designer. He and I had a business together and we grew the business interdisciplinary together. So we were doing brand, brand environments, as well as industrial design and product innovation. That's where I really discovered this idea of cross-disciplinary innovation. Hmm. Um, So having industrial designers, interior architects, graphic designers, as well as brand strategists and industrial designers all under one roof, that's really what started to cultivate a whole new kind of creative enterprise for the firm, which is where I am now in the legacy chapter now of the firm where I really want to start to build the firm. We have a really unique pedagogy in our methodology and our process. And so now I'm starting to look at how do we take our secret sauce, translate that, map it, teach it, train it, and scale it. Hmm. And this is where the millennial um, generation has really become so critical in the support and the future growth of the business. Because their learning agility and their ability to learn and their voracious appetite and curiosity to learn in an open environment at a creative company the more creative and the more energy and the more openness and teaching environment that you can create, mm-hmm. I find that the three generations that you described, it's almost like there's a reverse mentoring going on. Wow. We have you know, the, the baby boomer generation, which is a couple years older than me. I'm kind of in the Xer, at the, between the Xer and the boomer, and then now the millennials. We, since we're kind of co-creating together, there's learning agility really at all stages, um, of the project delivery process, as well as in this reverse mentoring that's happening. So it's been really exciting to kind of unleash the power, I'm saying, of the millennials in our office. And we just recently went through a complete redesign of our operating system of how we deliver projects. We started to, you know, it's kind of a classic entrepreneur story. I, I was growing the business and I only really kind of knew how to grow it the way I had grown it already. So it was very siloed. Um, I had kind of a hierarchical, you know, tiering strategy that was kind of the old way, but yet how we were actually delivering the work was completely in a collaborative way. Mm-hmm. So this past year in hiring a COO, we decided to rip out our operating system and literally build it now in an, in an agile model. So now we all work in teams and whoever's the captain of the team you know, that might be a 23-year-old that's running the project. And I might be working on the team, but I'm listening to what the 23-year-old says because they're the captain of the team of the squad at that particular time in that particular phase of the project. Wow. So because we changed the way that we're delivering the work, I mean, we're still delivering the same thing A to Z, right? We do brand space, period. Sure. We still deliver what we do, but it's how we're doing it internally that we found where this learning agility has just really unleashed the power And I think, honestly, I think all three generations are happier now because everyone's learning from each other. Wow. And it's just changed our whole culture this past year. It's interesting that you mentioned learning um, because I'm fascinated by the fact that you could you could start out, as you mentioned, right? You start out as a solopreneur, you know, Kelly and the band, right? Yep. And, And and. That made sense, right? And and not to mention, you grew up in a time, well, that's how every entrepreneur did it. That's, you know, and then it became hierarchical. Well, that's how every company was. There's a hierarchy. There's a, you know, you, you don't talk to the boss. You talk to the boss's manager, right? There's a, there's, yep. a, there's a chain of command and everybody understands that, that command space, right? But right. I'm interested in 
How has this journey even impacted you in, in just personally? Because I would imagine that as a CEO, uh, for somebody who is so, um, uh, as I perceive you to be so in touch with the, the work that you create, I would imagine that this has also been a learning journey for you personally. Talk to me a little bit about that. What, what has that been like over the last 30 years? To What are you kind of learning even about yourself and things that you had to learn that, well, maybe I've got to change some things so that the company can grow? I think one of the things I'm learning is that uh, I need to keep learning. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the number one thing. There you go. Uh, I realize as a CEO that I'm still a learning CEO and I find the older I get, the more seasoned I become, the more I realize that I don't know. And so I've been really fortunate. I put a board of advisors in place two years ago of very seasoned CEOs, like former, you know, major players here in, in the Cincinnati market. And they've really, really mentored me um, to keep my open eyes and my open ears and to recognize that I was given two ears and one mouth for a reason. <laughs> so I try to really be a listening and learning leader. Sure. I think the biggest change for me as a CEO has been that back to the solopreneur piece, you know, I started out, I'm a, I was a doer. I was designing everything myself. Sure. So I was inventing our process. Wow. I was co-creating every day because that's I'm a trained practitioner. That's what I love. And so I think for me as a CEO, one of the biggest changes for me was once I realized that we had a pedagogy, was how am I going to transfer this knowledge? How can we grow and scale the business? I've got to find ways as a CEO that I can still add value and create a curriculum. And so as a teacher, um, luckily I teach up at the University of Cincinnati in the design school. And, you know, one of my board of advisors said, you know, you just really need to figure out how to teach and train this to your team. And so, of course, the great thing about teaching I learned a long time ago is that most teachers, really, it's about learning. You yeah. learn more from your students than you do from anything that you would ever teach. Wow. Especially in the creative field. Because um, it's really about understanding the creative process and being a part of a dialogue and co-creating and brainstorming and you know using design thinking and different methodologies and asking more questions and pushing the envelope to get to the next level. So I think as a CEO, my biggest challenge has been for me to no longer be in the doing mm -hmm. and creating, but now to be in the back of the room and actually letting you know the the, the students and now the new emerging leaders really lead yeah. and be there. Be there to let them fail, um, but be there to also help them learn and, you know, kind of coach along the way. You know, that's so that's an interesting concept. I mean, you know, so, some people would say, well, yeah, Kelly, but my company is, you know, 40,000 people. I can't afford for some people to fail. We have to hit these numbers or we have to do certain things. Right. So that's a that's an interesting you know perspective that I think is starting to become a, a, a something of that a lot of companies are having to have a challenge to say that we do have to let people fail. Otherwise, I don't know how else they're going to learn it. But, you, you know, as you as you kind of talk through that journey, I, I thought about something that, that I've been dying to ask you. How hard was it for you to let go of control throughout this entire process and journey? Oh, that was probably the hardest <laughs> thing. I think, you know, once I had trust of people that I knew that they were better than me, and better designers and better creators than me, I had no problem like letting go. Okay. I mean, that was my goal was to find people that were better than me. And so as a CEO, I knew that was really, really important. I think in this new learning agility model that we're doing today, as I talked about the teaming model, 
I mean, we just recently did this really cool event here in town. There was like a million people that came to our downtown. We did this event called Blink. And, um, you know, I had a, you know, I had a 24 year old leading the team for a huge installation. Wow. And, you know, this was a very public venue, very visible. You know, we were on the field. This was very, very public, big installation with art and animation and video and imagery. And I mean, all kinds of huge stuff. And here was my young team was leading the way. And I would have to call them up and say, okay, what do you need me to do for you today? <laughs> and so I would just wait. I would wait for him to tell me what to do. And I just remember thinking, I hope I can do this. But I, you know, I really did. I, so I think you're right. It is hard to let go, but I think it's really about trusting and recognizing the talent and letting them fulfill their vision. Sure. And you're there to guide. So I try to put the bumper guards in place. Sure. Like, have you thought about this? Have we considered that? So that's kind sure. of it. A- I think the other thing, The other thing that we did a lot in our learning agility model is we have a couple of different work stream methods that we're using. Okay. So one of the work stream methods is the one where I'm most mostly used, which is called the visiting professor model. So people will call me in just for a five-minute critique or call me in for, hey, we're thinking about this. What do you think about that? Um, you know, or they'll make a meeting with me and just say, we just want your impression. You know, you've done 16 campuses already. We're about to do you know, the campus you know, XYZ at this university. What do you think? Hmm. So I think it's um, all of how you set your team up for success, too, and how you can introduce learning. I mean, everybody has knowledge. But you have to design your process to support that learning Hmm. or else else it will be siloed and it will be lost and it will be stuck in the computer or stuck in the person's mind. Yeah. So it's really about designing your process to create and cultivate that that learning, I think. Interesting. And it sounds as if that um, because of the, the nature and the intricate nature of what you all do, communication is absolutely critical. So so so. Share with me a little bit about, you know, how, how different is the communication styles that that you see a millennial bring to your your world and your industry? How you, you know has it is it different than it maybe it was twenty years ago? Do, do you see a maybe a gap, or do you just see you yeah. just see difference? Well, talk to me about how how millennials may communicate in, in today's world from your perspective versus maybe what you saw you know when you were. The, the Kelly and the band. Right. I think the biggest difference is technology, right? I mean, we're con- we have a group chat. We use group me here internally for internal communication. We keep our culture because our teams are everywhere. You know, I might be in Tulsa or I might be in Pittsburgh. We might have teams in Detroit. We might be anywhere working locally or globally. And so I think the biggest enabler for us right now has been the technology tool. They want to communicate with technology and they want to be able to enable that project management software, another live chat kind of feature, Google Hangout. A lot of our teams just live on Google Hangout and they kind of communicate back and forth with each other. So I realized that for us, really technology and having mobility inside of our office, for example, we do have, um, each person has a, has a desk, but you can work anywhere because everything is completely mobile. So our phones are mobile. Our computers are mobile. We have huge monitors you can plug into, or we have soft seating spaces in the back. So depending upon what kind of work you want to do, if it's heads down or if it's more social or if it's more um, you know, individual, individual work, the communication style and having spaces and places that enable that kind of communication is really, really important for people. 
And I think that that's probably been the biggest difference in the last two decades that I've seen is the use of technology like we are today on Skype. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, w- I want to shift gears here. So, uh, you know, I- I'm sure there have been uh, what I would call, you know, bright spots of, of, of those who've come into your office and you go, man, this person one day is going to be, you know, they're going to be the next Michelangelo. Like they're, you know, you, you I'm sure you, you've seen them and, and some of them you've been able to hire, some of them you probably couldn't pay. So you had to, you know, send them on their way and kind of be a guide. But I'm sure you've seen them. What can emerging leaders do um, to, to really embrace uh, change that is important for them to go from, I'm just an individual contributor, but now I want to be an executive? What can emerging leaders do who really want to take that next step in their career to become an executive, uh, keeping in mind that I think one of the things a lot of people forget about that is that you're also that means you're going to also manage people. Right. To me, that's like one of the big changes that I think people they theoretically get it, they don't realize it until they're kind of knee deep in it, and then a lot of people just kind of run away from managing people. But I, I'm curious uh, from your perspective what what are some of those those things that emerging leaders need to learn about that change and that difference in order to be able to step to that next phase. So I think one of the hardest things to learn, and I've seen this time and time again, is especially with um, young leaders, is that they're going to have to manage and actually talk to people um, and support people and tell people what to do that are much, much older than them, Mm -hmm. especially in a company like ours where we have three generations, right? So you might be managing someone that's that's you know older than your father. (laughs) So that's really, really hard. That's um, different. it's really different, and I think it's really hard for the emerging leaders to recognize that they actually have knowledge and that they have value and that there are. it's really focused on the work. Sure. Um, so I think that that's one barrier that I see. The other one I see a lot is in women um, and also in our minority employees that we have. Um, they really struggle with that leadership piece that they might feel worried. We're in a very kind of male-dominated um, architecture, engineering, and planning field. Sure. And a lot of our emerging women don't feel that they're taken seriously, especially if they're working in an environment like out on a construction site. You know, we have hard hats and boots here, right? Right. We wear safety vests. (laughs) Yeah. And so um, I think that a lot of times there's barriers that people perceive Mm -hmm. uh, that they have. And it's true. And they, they will have to have some tough conversations. They will have to be assertive. They will have to find their voice. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I encourage all of my uh, emerging leaders, you know, male as well as female, to really find their voice and know their stuff. Sure. So for us, it's about expertise, yeah. right? So, you know, you've got to be able to win on your knowledge. So be practiced. Be ready. Have your readiness. Have your answers ready. Play your scenarios out. Have the conversation six ways, you know, and backwards. Um, so you know all the questions that are going to be asked and you have the answers ready. Because I think it's really about going, you know, going out in the future and walking it back. Wow. And if I can encourage my people to think more like that, more strategically, I think they're so much more prepared. And then when the question shows up in the meeting, they're like, ha, I got that answer. That's right. That's right. Interesting. So, you know, when when you talk about an emerging leader making that shift, um, you mentioned even the, the difference in dynamic of uh, the male versus the female in this space. How did you do it? 
I mean, you knew the odds going into this world, right? You knew, yeah. <laughs> you, you. I mean, it, it, it hasn't changed, right? No. Much. Um, how, how did how did you uh, not only know that reality, but how did you begin to make those those inroads as you've gone through your career? I think it's really about relationships. And so for me, you know, like they say, the three rules in in real estate is location, location, location. Or for me, the three rules in business is relationship, relationship, relationship. So I focus on being trusted advisors. I focus on being very knowledgeable and having the answers. As I mentioned earlier, I really encourage my people to be very studied and be prepared. And I think that's really, you know, I always had to be smarter. I always had to work harder and I had to be more prepared than anybody else. And that way in the end, right? No one can it doesn't matter, you know, what, you know, what 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 you know what you're wearing or what, you know, what you what sex you are or what nationality you are or what background you're is. It's really about who has the right answer. Sure, absolutely. Wow, that's powerful. Um you know, I I'm often uh intrigued by the 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 journey of the individual, not mm. necessarily the title that they hold. So, right. so, so one of the things I'm interested in is, um, you as a CEO, you, you've had an opportunity for, for 25 plus years to watch things evolve in the industry. You've watched talent evolve. You've seen, um, how, how there's been disruptors in your industry. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you continue to move forward when you've seen all of these different things that that change even for some of the disruptors and I and I'm not familiar so please fill me in on some of those disruptors that you've even seen from a design uh uh space sure. and and how, how how have you been able to continue to to make progress because I, I would imagine that there's a lot of pressure um to constant you know I would even say pressure from the last project Right. The last project was a success. And it's almost like you got to have a short term memory, get rid of that one because somebody else is coming in and they saw that one and they're like, I want mine better than that one. Right. So, so how do you. I have, I have had a CEO ask me that. I, I'm, I'm sure. I had, I had one guy ask me, I had one CEO ask me if I could give him a better lobby than the last CEO. I just cracked. <laughs> He's like, well, I'll try. I'll right. Try. Right. So, so, how have you been able to just. Kind of, kind of create and forget, create and forget, and really start with the blank say to just keep going. You, you're how many? How many designs are you now in? Oh yeah, hundreds. Yeah. Hundreds, so, hundreds. so how do you how do you keep yeah. that that forward progress going? Well, I think it's not it's not create and forget. Everything is building on the previous knowledge. Okay. Okay. So what I learn in the corporate sector, I bring to my healthcare sector. What I learn in higher ed, I take to corporate. So a lot of cross-fertilization, what I find is that as a practitioner, what I learn in one sector, I can apply in another sector. Absolutely. So really, at the end of the day, it's about people, right? Absolutely. And it's about experiencing and how does place, how does space impact people? Mm-hmm. So for me, it's been really about cross-disciplinary and learning, and we take that learning agility with us in every project. Um, you know, 50% of healthcare is workspace, but people mm-hmm. don't think of it like that. Wow. Um, so a lot of our knowledge comes from one project to another. The other thing that we've learned is that sometimes we actually will take on a project because we want to experiment with something. Hmm. So we actually might go into the project with a goal and a partnership where we know that we're using it as an R&D. We're wow. using it as a platform wow. to prove out a concept or to learn something very specifically about that environment. 
um, especially in the healthcare space. Uh, we might want to be um, experimenting with measuring and testing, say, for example, a waiting room. And what are the best types of waiting rooms for patients and families and staff? What's the, what's the me- measurement between a waiting room to a waiting room? Interesting. So we may want to do some testing ourselves so we can prove out what we think is the best model. So every project builds um, what I learned from one project. We usually take to another project, which again actually puts pressure back on us now. <laughs> we have 25 years of learning. Yeah. And so my team is like, you know, how are we going to document these 16 campuses we just did. Wow. We're trying to figure out now in our own disruption and our own thought leadership, how can we capture all of that knowledge to create these as tools in a toolbox so we can share the knowledge. So I think that for us is going to be our disruption of our our own process is it can't be institutional memory. It's got to be real memory. What were the big moves that we made on that campus, over that campus, and what did we learn that that helps us create the next best-in-class campus? Wow, wow. So I think it's that kind of documenting now. Yeah, wow. That that and that would almost be a a journey in itself. I could only imagine that that has to be a lot. So I want to shift gears here. I one thing I'm fascinated by is uh, how often we don't understand each other uh, in generations. How mm-hmm. often the mom doesn't understand the parent, vice versa. The child doesn't understand the parent. The employee doesn't understand the boss. The boss doesn't understand the manager. There's always these misunderstandings uh, and these misconceptions. Share with me, if you would, what are some misconceptions that um, you 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 would like to maybe even just speak to being uh, being the CEO that maybe even some of your employees might not know or just, uh, uh, you know, an employee in general, they might not know that, you know, this or that is actually kind of a thing or, you know, just something that you have probably known in your experience to see that. Uh, employees kind of trip over every all the time uh, in your experience. What what are some of those misconceptions, even even from a generational standpoint, that being an Xer, you know, having to deal with baby boomers or uh, millennials on the other end? What are some misconceptions you'd like to speak to? One of the things that I see a lot is a communication style. That's probably the biggest gap that we're seeing here in our workplace is um, expectations, um, you know, responsiveness. How quickly and clients today is such a pressure environment. They literally expect responsiveness within the day. Hmm. You know, it used to be back in the day that you could respond to a letter within three days or an email within three days. <laughs> yeah. Get it. I mean, it's almost a 24 seven environment. Sure. And I think one of the things that we've really had to impress upon our people is that they don't have to have all the answers. Hmm. They just have to show that they've responded. So they could say, got your email. I'll get back to you tomorrow after I check on X, right? But I think that there is a sense of needing to feel like they have the answer. And if they don't have the answer, then they don't answer at all. I fall victim to that. (laughs) (laughs) So what we work on here a lot is what I call like the yes, not now answers, right? So the client says, I want you to do this, blah, blah, blah. And we will say, yes, not now. We'll get back to you tomorrow. So I'm always trying to insert kind of, um, you know, new ways to communicate so we can be in constant communication 
and make the client feel that they've been heard, that they've been taken care of, that the customer knows that we've we've gotten their email correspondence, but that we're working on it. Sure. And I think it's fine to write back to someone and say, we're working on it. We'll get back to you by Friday or whatever the answer is. Sure. So I think that's probably the biggest gap that I see in general is that in today's 24-7 culture, clients expect a lot. Clients expect responsiveness. And people really expect you to be on, if you know what I mean. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a high demand environment, especially if you're in the service business. I'm in the service business. So sure. clients are expecting that they can reach me when they need to and that I'll respond. Um, the other big thing I think that we've worked on a lot is our text communication. So mm. we um, we have, as I mentioned, this internal chat network, and we mostly are doing that for social things, checking in, letting people know where we are or progress on things. But I also think that the differences between the different generations is that depending upon your work, your work life balance choice that people really want to be able to communicate with you via text. I've got clients communicating with us via text. Wow. All the time now. Yeah, wow. checking, in, <laughs> checking in on the progress of my package or whatever. <laughs> and so on the one hand, I like the intimacy, intimacy of text. I like the the fact that it's like another level of friendship. That's sure. that relationship Absolutely. Like I love that I have relationships with clients where they're texting me. Hey, did you see that? You know, talk by Simon Sinek. What do you think? Sure. I mean, I love that I have that level of communication and trust with my clients, but I also realize that that puts a lot of pressure on my people. Oh yeah. If they start communicating with the with the clients that way, and text can be so miscommunicated and it's informal, it's not a great form of communication. So I think that's one of the challenges that's just not quite figured out yet in today's business environment. 